text for this morning's worship service is from Daniel 1, which we just read together. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 37, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people, the book of Daniel is a wonderful and gripping book. It starts off by telling fascinating stories about some young men who are placed in the midst of a beautiful castle where they quickly rise to high ranks. The book tells us about the greatest king in the world of that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, a man of great power and wealth. We're also told about the dreams that he had and about how the wise men of his own country were not able to interpret those dreams. But Daniel could. And then the book tells us about the lion's den and about the fiery furnace and how Daniel escapes from it all. Indeed, the book of Daniel is a gripping book. It reads like a novel full of twists and turns. The book stimulates the imagination. Do you know how old Daniel was when he was put into the king's palace? Commentators all agree that he will have been about 14 or 15 years old, at most 16. And so he was very young. But what an adventure already at such a young age. Perhaps some of you young people dream about being like Daniel in some way. For Daniel became a hero. Wouldn't you love to be like Daniel, a hero like him? Well, I do not want to put a damper on your enthusiasm, but we have to be very sober as we read this book. It is not a romance. It is not a novel as such. Why do you think that God gave us this book of Daniel? As an example for us, so that we can be a Daniel in this world? Well, that's an important element, to be like Daniel, but that is not what this book is about. It is not in the first place so that we can emulate the book of the life of Daniel. It is not given to you as an example of living. No, like every other book of the Bible, it is all about the glory of God. It is all about God who wants to be worshipped in the midst of this world. It is all about how God gathers his church. It is all about his faithfulness. It is about the fact that he rules. And that he wants to continue to have a people here on this earth to glorify him. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. I've summarized the text as follows. The Lord uses Daniel to showcase his glory among the glitter of Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And this occurs in spite of the fact that Daniel and his friends are given in the first place ungodly names, in the second place unholy food, and in the third place worldly instruction. As I said, Daniel was a young man when he was brought into the court of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He was of noble birth. I would imagine that Daniel grew up with privileges that others didn't have. 
he would have lived in a well-to-do area of Jerusalem. As a prince in the land, he would have had a beautiful home. His family was well-respected and well-established in the land and had been so for centuries. But then suddenly he was snatched from his lovely home and he was moved to faraway Babylon. Some of his friends who also belonged to the nobility suffered the same lot. These men were also all of noble birth and no doubt they were not accustomed to that kind of treatment. How could that happen to the royal family of Judah, to the house of David? Well, their parents and relatives could no longer protect them. Their families no longer had anything to say in the country. Whatever they had stood for throughout the centuries no longer meant anything. Everything was taken away from them. How come? Well, because there was now a new king who called the shots. There is a new power in the land. We read that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylonia, besieged the city of Jerusalem and conquered it. He went right into the city, took it over, and even went into the temple of God and into the holy of holies, the sanctuary, and robbed it of its content. It says in the text that he carried it off. He took it away, and then he brought it into the temple of his God in Babylonia and put all those treasures there. It is clear who is in charge from now on. King Nebuchadnezzar. He, at that moment, was the most powerful person in the whole world. He conquered kingdoms right, left, and center. And now he is the supreme ruler. He now has all the power and the glory and the kingdoms on earth. He is the one who determines the fates of all lands and of all men. And nobody had better cross him. And he wants to make sure that everybody knows that as well. And that is why he also changed the names of those young nobles, those princes from Judah. He changed the name of Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect his life. Bel was the name of a heathen Babylonian god. Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, became Shadrach, that is the command of the moon god. And Mishael, which means who is like God, became Meshech, which now means who is like Aku. Aku was another one of the heathen gods. And Azariah, that is, Yahweh is my helper, is now called Abednego, meaning the servant of the heathen god, Nego. And so you can see what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do. He not only wants to give them a new identity, but he also wants to erase their history. Nebuchadnezzar wants these young nobles to forget where they came from. He wants them to forget their god, and their nation. He wants them to use, he wants to use them as instruments in his hands to make that happen also in their own country in Judah and Israel as well. By taking these future leaders of Israel into Babylonia and by giving them new names and by educating them in all the ways Babylonia, he wants to make them leaders in their own country to establish his kingdom there for a long time. He is interested in total assimilation. 
The more the people are the same, the better he can be in control and the better he can establish his will on the people for the less of a threat they are to him then. Please note how this book begins. We read there that it was the Lord who delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see that it is the Lord's doing, the God of Israel. We know, of course, why Israel and Judah were brought into exile. Moses already predicted that this would happen if they did not serve the Lord, if they walked away from him, which is what happened. The Israelites were disobedient, not just once or twice. No, it happened time and time and time and again. They didn't listen. But that's not the only thing, because we know that God forgives us our sins when we sin against him all the time, but they didn't want to repent from their sins. They didn't think it was necessary. Oh, sure, they went to the temple and they brought their sacrifices But that was mere ritualism. That was only outward obedience. They didn't serve God from the heart. And so they weren't any different from all the other people around them. The other nations. And so God had to punish them. To shock them out of their complacency. To make them see. Jeremiah calls Assyria, that is Babylonia, the rod of God's anger. God was angry with them. But the book of Daniel was not written to emphasize the punishment of God. No, the book of Daniel is full of hope. There is full of hope for God's people. God does not want them to become part of this world. He does not want them to be assimilated into the nation. That is why he made Israel a separate nation in the first place. He wanted to maintain a people here on earth who would always glorify his name. For isn't that why he made his creation? For his glory? Yes, he did. And therefore there will always be a people here on earth to praise his name. And therefore there is always great hope for God's people. No matter what is happening around us, God will continue to gather his church. That's what he wants to emphasize in this book. He wants to show that God is in control of history. That he is in control of king and nations. And that is why he reminds us that the Lord himself gave Judah and its king into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God did that. And note well that in verse 2, the name of the Lord, the, the, the name of God, the Lord, is not capitalized. Most of you know, certainly my catechism students know, that when the word Lord is capitalized, that then God's covenant name is used. In the original language, it is Yahweh. But now another name for God is used in the Hebrew, Adonai. And this is translated as Lord without capital letters. Adonai means master, owner, the one who has control over things. The Lord of everything that he owns. Nebuchadnezzar is a powerful king. And he thinks he can change history. He thinks that he has everything in his control. 
after all, and do all the nations and peoples not belong to him? Is he not one? Is he not the one calling the shots? Well, as the book of Daniel will show, God will prove otherwise. And now Daniel, with all the other nobles from the many nations from all over the empire, come into the beautiful palace of Nebuchadnezzar. Everything there glitters. It is the most beautiful surrounding. It has the best of the best. The gardens around the palace are beautiful and well-maintained. So are the facilities. The furnishings were made from the finest materials. And the palace had many servants to cater to their every wish. The food was out of this world. It exceeded any food you would receive at a five-star hotel or on the most luxurious cruise ship. And every day these men were to be fed that kind of good food. And so these young men were well taken care of. Why do you think that is? Do you think that is because Nebuchadnezzar was such a wonderful man? Because he wanted to make the lives of other people happy? Because he wanted to spread the wealth? Don't think that for a moment. And this has to do with control. It has to do with the furtherance of his cause, his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar had an agenda. He wanted them to become totally assimilated into the Babylonian ways. And the food would be one way for him to be for him to accomplish that. How? For it may seem strange to you that Daniel refuses the food and the drink. It appears that he is the only one. The other three do not raise any objection. What does Daniel see that the others don't see? Is Daniel not being a little bit overpowered, overpious? For it doesn't say anywhere in the Old Testament that he couldn't eat or drink that kind of food, that he couldn't eat meat or drink wine. But how does Daniel see his position here? It is clear that Daniel and the other three men want to serve the Lord. They love the Lord. When Daniel still lived in Jerusalem, he no doubt heard the prophecies of Jeremiah. For Jeremiah lived at that time, and he lived very close to Jerusalem in Anatoth, and he regularly preached to the nobility. Daniel was brought up on the word of God. He had a good, solid foundation under him. Daniel and his family were not likely, were not like the others who did not listen to Jeremiah. For you see, not everyone had turned their backs on God. No, there were always still some people, including some of the nobility in Judah, who still wanted to serve the Lord. Daniel was among them. And he had resolved already at a young age that he was going to serve the Lord all the days of his life. And that he was going to be a witness of God's greatness and faithfulness in the midst of Judah and anywhere where the Lord God would place him. But how do you do that? How can you be a believer in the midst of worldly surroundings? How do you conduct yourself? What is the best way to help others understand what you are all about? And what are the kinds of things you can participate in and the kinds of things you cannot? Where do you draw the line? That's also a question for us, and especially for you young people in our midst. 
you know that you are different and that you have to show that in the things you do and say. But how? You see, that's the difficulty. Daniel is a wise man already at a young age. He does not want to stand out unnecessarily. There are people like that. They put tattoos all over their bodies. They dress in loud colors. They have holes bored in various parts of their bodies so that they can put studs or other jewelry in them. In this way, they draw attention to themselves. Usually, that's done out of rebellion or out of the great need to show that they are different, that they are their own person. There may be other reasons for that as well. Some religions are like that as well. Sikhs, for example, and Orthodox Muslims, they look different and they dress different. There are Christian groups like that too. Think of the Mennonites who only wear simple and dark clothing and their women wear scarves and they wear long dresses and no makeup. And think about the Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic clerics with their fancy robes and hats. And even within our own churches, there are sometimes people who want to draw attention to themselves in the same way. Not so blatantly, of course. They dress, for example, more conservatively than others. They want others to notice that they are a little bit more conservative. That's not Daniel. Daniel is not interested in drawing attention to himself that way. No, he refuses the food from the table of the king, not because he is rebellious or because he wants to stand out for the sake of standing out, but because in this way he is convinced he would be partaking of their ungodly religion. For you see, all the food and the drink that was served would first be dedicated to the gods of Babylon. And he did not want to eat any food that was offered to idols. Daniel saw the great danger. He saw that that is where he had to draw the line. Please understand why. For this is not the only time where food offered to idols is mentioned. I'm sure you're aware of that as well. Paul deals with that extensively in the first letter to the Corinthians in the chapters 8 through 10. And there he gives permission to eat that food. However, only if you can do that by not being a stumbling block to the weaker members of the church. But Daniel refuses because he knows that the king in this way wants to tie him to the gods of the Babylonians. Within the palace, you could not separate the ceremonies and the libations to the gods from the food itself. And so the situation that Paul writes about is different. It says in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. The King James Version says that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It literally says that he gave it a secure place in his heart. In other words, he locked it within his heart. Something within him turned the key. And when David made, when Daniel made that decision, he stood alone. He took the initiative. And that would not have been easy. And that's not easy for any of us, but especially not when you're young. You don't want to stand out from your peers. You want to be part of the group. You want to be able to do the kinds of things that they do. And normally that's not much of a problem. 
There are many things that we can do with our friends and with our fellow workers and with our fellow students. But there are certain things you should not do. What are they? Is there a certain list that you can refer to? That would be nice. But I'm afraid that's not the way it is. Do you know why that is? Because God does not want to be served by lists, by rules and regulations. That's how the Pharisees wanted to serve God. And that was totally wrong. They lost God in their hearts. They became proud and arrogant men. We, however, have to be humble and learn how to discern. We have to learn the difference between ethics, the law of God, and between traditions, customs, human tradition, human conventions. When you do a certain thing or take a certain action, now you have to ask whether or not you want to serve the God, whether or not you want to serve God with this. That takes discernment. Let me give you some examples. Let's go back to the matter of dressing. It's a matter of dress when you come to church and when you go to the Lord's Supper. Is that a matter of tradition, of human convention, of custom? Or is that an ethical matter? Or when you make voluntary contributions to the church, is that just a custom or tradition? Or is that something that God commands? What about marriage? Do you tie the knot out of custom or do you do it out of tradition? And so I can go on for a while. The answer to most of these questions is obvious. But to others, it may not be as obvious. You might ask yourself, for example, what kind of clothes should I be wearing? How should I dress? But then you're getting again into rules and regulations, and we don't want to go there. No, you have to learn to discern. And you can only do that properly if your heart is in the right place. Every step of the way in life you always have to question whether or not you are doing things for your own personal reasons or whether or not you're doing it out of a love for the Lord. Are you doing it because you want to make a statement for yourself and about yourself or because you want to serve God with all your fiber and with all your being. For of what should we be afraid? You should be afraid that when you go along with your friends and co-workers, that then they may draw you away from the Lord your God. And that is what Daniel was afraid of. He was afraid that by the wrong actions, he would be going down the wrong path, down the slippery slope. He intuitively knew that by going along with the customs of the Babylonians, that then he would slowly but surely be drawn into the worship of the Babylonians. That in this way Nebuchadnezzar would have a certain control over him that would be hard to resist. And so Daniel refuses at this point. It is great to note that Ashpenaz, the chief of Nebuchadnezzar's court officials, was favorably inclined to him. That was God's grace. For God gave him a heart of compassion towards Daniel. But Daniel also had been given a heart of discernment and kindness. And Daniel no doubt will have treated Ashpenaz with the utmost respect and in a way that he would find favor with him. 
And we see that the Lord is with him and with the other three nobles. That is also shown in the way that they took to their own diet. They didn't look any less healthy than the other nobles. On the contrary, they looked even better than those who ate the royal food. For Ashpenaz had been afraid that if Daniel and the other three would eat only vegetables and drink water as they requested, that then they would be skinny and look worse than the other young people of their age. And that then the king would have his head. Thankfully, there are no consequences for Daniel daring to stand out. The Lord is with him. That's an encouragement. And he will need that. For not only does the king want him to be assimilated through the foods he is to eat, but also through the education he is to receive. We come to the third point. Daniel and the other young nobles were taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. In other words, they received a worldly education. They had to know the way of the Babylonians and to be familiar with all their science and technology. And don't think that the knowledge and technology of those days was insignificant, not in the least. There was great knowledge about architecture, about building materials and methods, also about astrology and mathematics and many other things. There was also some very good literature. In a worldly sense, Babylon was a very civilized country and had been around for a few thousand years. Daniel and the others were chosen because they were not only good students, but also diligent students. They thrived in an environment of learning. These men were eager to learn things, and they did. And they did not have any difficulty with that as such. For learning as such is one thing, but putting your learning into practice is another. While you are learning... You have to think about how you can use that knowledge for God's glory. For example, when you have to learn in university or wherever about evolution, you can learn about it. But that doesn't mean that now you have to think that that is the truth. No. Learn. But use it to God's glory. Use that knowledge to God's glory. You have to learn to discern. You have to learn how your knowledge can serve God and how you can promote God's kingdom with it. For you see, that's what it is all about. God wants to continue to gather his his church also through us, also through you young people. And he doesn't want you to fall away. He wants to build his church and you and me just as he did with Daniel. At the time of Daniel, it appeared that God's people were going to be assimilated into the nations and forgotten and lost. The ten northern tribes had already long ago been exiled, and now Judah is also being driven into exile. What about the future of Israel now? What about the church? What's going to happen? God promised that he would send a redeemer who would save the world from Satan and sin. What's going to happen to that long-awaited Messiah? However, now the Lord raises a man like Daniel to continue to gather his church. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's what he has done throughout the ages. He uses faithful men to bring glory to his name and to gather his church. He uses Daniel to give hope to those who want to be faithful to him. Through this prophet, 
people are told that the Messiah is going to come. That God is going to continue to work through his people and with his people. That God does not abandon his people. But you make sure you're a part of God's gathering church. Be faithful. And that's the message for us today as well. God continues to gather his church. Also in this world, the Messiah has come, but he will come again. He is going to come on the last day. But in the meantime, he will not leave this world without a witness, without people who want to serve him, who want to bring glory to his name. And so he also wants to use you and me. He wants you and me to be faithful. He wants you and me to be a witness in this world. No matter what situation you're in, God has given all of us talents. He wants you and me to bring glory to his name. And that is why he wants you, young people, also to learn in accordance with the abilities and aptitudes that God has given to you. He wants you to learn how to conduct yourself in the midst of this world that is bound for destruction. And so, whatever path you take in your life, God wants you to be diligent so that you are equipped to serve God in this world, so that you are equipped to influence this world. We need young people trained in all kinds of professions and trades. For the Lord God is the creator of all things. There is not an area of our lives that is not under his domain. And you have to serve him and influence the world in every area of life. But you can only do that if you know how this world functions. You can only do that if you know how to influence that world without the world influencing you in the wrong way. In other words, influencing you in such a way that you're not going to compromise your faith. And that takes a lot of wisdom and understanding and discernment. You have to think about how you can influence best your teachers, your professors, your fellow workers. But in so doing, you have to be careful that they do not draw you away from serving God. You see, that's where the danger comes in. And that's also where the danger came in for Daniel. And he knew it. And so Daniel was always on his toes. And he also knew that he had quite a responsibility as a child of God. He had to be a witness. I don't get the impression that Daniel and his friends aggressively came with their point of view. No, they quietly took it all in. They were there to learn. They wanted to gain knowledge. In so doing, they remained true to the Lord their God. They remained true to their convictions. Even though they became outstanding scholars of Babylonian culture, they did not compromise their faith. They found the secret of being able to do that. And the Lord God blessed Daniel, didn't he? Daniel lived to a ripe old age. He was around 80 years old when he died. It says in the text that Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, the Persian king who took over from the Babylonians. That means that he served in that court for some 56 years. He not only survived there, but he flourished there, while at the same time bringing glory to God's name. Because if there's one thing that Daniel did, it was as we will see in the following chapters, to give glory to God's name. He made sure that everyone knew that he was in the service of God, the only true God, and that it was God working through him, that he would know that the power 
and the kingdom and the glory belongs to God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is the Lord over all things. Amen.